Hello and welcome to the Mormon Happy Hour. We are the Angels on Fire. I'm Miranda Crandall. And I'm Colleen Dietz. This is episode six. Yay! So first I want to talk about our coffee tidbit. Today I want to tell you about Kopi Luwak Coffee. This is all, oh. the nickname for that is Cat Poop Coffee. That's right. It is Cat Poop Coffee. <laughs> So um, what it is, is these big jungle cats in Asia will eat the coffee beans, but they only eat the ripest ones. And then they digest it and their special digestive juices add flavor to the coffee beans. So they poop them out. People are going out there in the forest, following the cats, waiting for them to poop. And they pick out the coffee beans from the cat shit. <laughs> and I think I don't I don't know the process, but I'm assuming they put it in the sun to dry or ovens or something. They roast them, they do whatever with them, they grind them, they sell them. So, um this is Kopi Luwak coffee. Apparently, it's fantastic and really delicious, rich, distinct flavor, also expensive. <laughs> I personally haven't tried it. Um, my brother has tried it, and he liked it. Huh. But again, it is expensive. Yeah. Can you, do you know where to get it? I don't. I don't know where to get it. I'm assuming you can buy it online somewhere. Right. Or specialty places. I don't mm -hmm. think you can just walk into a grocery store and oh, buy yeah. Kopi Luwak. I don't think so. Um, so on our New Year's resolution episode, we talked about... Um, Ethan had a, a resolution to write in his journal more. And the very next day, I found an app called Dailyo. It's free on, you know, your regular app store. And it's a daily journal app. And I've been doing it for the past three days. Today will be my fourth day. Yeah, I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited. It's fantastic. It's super simple, super fast, super easy. It pops up a reminder. I just click on the reminder. Then um, it has little bubbles, and it's like, how was your day? And I just kind of click on the bubbles that I did. It'll have, you know, work, a date, okay, you know, like music, uh, exercising, different activities. So you kind of click on the bubbles that you did, and then you can add a note. I do a list of what I did today. I don't even do a sentence, yeah. but it's keeping track of what I do. And um, the main bubble at the top is, how was your day? You can do, and it has like a bad, meh, good, great, awesome, or so, something like that. Again, I really like it, and I can feel, I feel like I can track kind of my mood in my days. Mm -hmm. um, if something significant happens, I can write that on there, and I can see what my reaction was, and I can go back to it. Cool. If uh, you'd like to write in your journal more this year, you should definitely download the Dailyo app. Yay, they're our sponsor, right? Wish. <laughs> I wish. We wish. Um, speaking of sponsors, I wanted to throw this out because we are, podcasting is kind of a hobby and it's not, um, it's not a hobby that, it, it's not free and we put a lot of time and effort into it and we really love it. We're passionate about it. But we could do a lot more for the podcast and for you, our listeners, if we had a little bit more cash flow. And so we we don't 
like asking for money, of course, but it's definitely something that if you support what we're doing, then we definitely would be grateful if you would help support us. We don't have anything set up yet to take your support, but we're working on it. We're looking into Patreon um, or other subscription type of um, ways that you can um, financially support us so that we can do more for you. And we're talking like software and hardware, things like mics and headphones, um, so that we can kind of give you a better product and entertain you and just be better. Yeah. I mean, so- if you like the show, if you like what we talk about, if, you know, you participate, you know, donate a dollar, yeah. you know, every little bit would help. Absolutely. So we'll let you know when everything's up and running for that. And we really appreciate monetary support and any other support comments, watching our live videos, Yay! <laughs> and even like subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a review, things like that. Those all help us to, to grow and to be successful. And that's what we definitely want to do for us and for you. So thanks so much. I wanted to make some corrections that have been pointed out to us on last week's episodes. So thank you so much for pointing out. Um, we are always, I'm always up for being fact checked because I don't always have all of my facts correct. So if you're willing to point out where I screwed up, I'm all about that. So I wanted to make two corrections from last week. Uh, number one, we kept pronouncing Russell M. Nelson's name as Nielsen apparently. So yeah, sorry. I apologize. We have been out of the church for far too long that we are apparently mispronouncing Names. one of the 12 apostles. So Oops. go us. Oopsie. So it is Russell M. Nelson who will be the next prophet of the church. Don't ask me what number because I don't really care. And the other thing that I screwed up is Ballard because it goes in succession. There is Nelson, Oaks, Ballard. Nelson's 93. Oaks is 85. I originally quoted Ballard at 76, which is inaccurate. That was the dude below him. What's his age? He is 88. 88. So all three okay, of those. You know, that makes a lot more sense because I was going to say that was a huge jump. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, so all three of those will probably cycle through those pretty quickly. Instead of the church being run by the prophet, which is more of a theocracy as it used to be in the early days of the church and was for many, many, many years um, and kind of ended fairly fairly recently um as the prophets began to get older and older in age they were no longer able to run the church themselves and so it left a void of leadership that had to be kind of the slack had to be taken up by the 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 counselors of the first presidency and the quorum of the 12 and so it created a system where the the leadership shifted from the prophet to the quorum of the 12 and so that's something that we'll definitely see continue with these three pro- prophets that will be 93, older than 85, and older than 88 when they become prophet of the church. Yeah. Is they're not going to have the faculties during the entire time that they are prophet to really run the church. That it's yeah. going to be taken up by a, you know, a, a larger body of, of ruling authority of the church. Right. Also, another correction, in episode four, we talked about the uh, alcohol by volume in Utah beer, and I think I mistakenly said it was 4.5. The actual Utah beer alcohol by weight is 3.2. Wow. And I found out that Utah is pretty much the only place that does alcohol by weight as opposed to alcohol by volume. Wow. So, it's... It's stupid because they are 
they're putting this number on this bottle that's only valid in Utah, and you can't use it to compare to beer everywhere yeah, else in the you world. Can't at all. And so the article that I was reading about it is that it says Utah the 3.2 alcohol by weight is approximately comparable to a 4.0 alcohol by volume. So Utah okay. beer is is a, is a 4.0. Okay. Because you can't you can't directly because, compare right. alcohol by weight, weight to alcohol volume. by volume. Yeah. Totally different. Just wanted to throw that out there. There is a reference to this article in the show notes for episode four if you're interested. Uh okay. So should we jump into yeah. the topics Let's at hand? Jump in. We're Yay! jumping in. Okay. Um, oh, and before we move on, I did want to thank Miranda. She does the editing for our episodes. So she does a lot of the the grunt work. And I really appreciate all that she does. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we threw out to our listeners on Facebook and Twitter and asked them, hey, what do you want us to talk about? You guys, we asked you what you wanted to talk about, and we got a lot of response back that people still want to talk about Monson, which is totally fine. Great. Last week when we did the episode, we happened to just catch it right after he passed away, like yeah. the next day, like within hours of him passing. So we were right at the beginning, but a lot has happened since then. Um, last week when we finished recording, literally when we went out of the room, we found the New York Times obituary that was... Mm -hmm has caused a lot of controversy over the past week. So we definitely want to cover that topic and kind of what has transpired since then. So should we jump right into it? Yeah. So what about this um, article causes controversy? So a lot of people wrote, a lot of um, media sources wrote obituaries for President Monson. Um, a lot of them were very favorable. But the New York Times took a position that a lot of people thought was a little bit harsher than they needed to be. So they had, um, they tweeted out their headline and, um, and basically, from my point of view, yes, it came out a little harsh. But what I feel like they did was they highlighted things that he accomplished during his term as president. And this is where I... I'm a little confused by the outrage by the Mormons because there are things that he stood firm on that are tenants of the church. He stood firm, um, and the way the article is written, it, it 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 frames it favorably, saying that he stood firm through he weathered, weathered the storm. He weathered the storm of oh demonstrations oh, at yeah. church headquarters by the ordained women, and did not bend to the demands of, of the world and didn't change the standards of the church. So he maintained that um, priesthood ordination was only a male right within the LDS church. He held fast to the church's outward, uh, I don't want to say fight, but campaign against same-sex marriage and to support traditional marriage. He stood fast to that. He began his tenure with Prop 8 in California. The church was 100% backing that proposition uh -huh. um, that they were definitely in favor of traditional marriage and against same-sex marriage in the state of California. Um, that that was something that the church and President Monson was very much behind at that time when he first came into office presidency. <laughs> and then the November 15th, the November 2015 policy came out again during his time as presidency, which defined um, homosexuals as apostates of the church and also excluded their um, children of same-sex couples, excluded them from 
Ordinances. All, all ordinances. All, all ordinances and basically membership of the church. They couldn't have any ordinances, no baptism, no blessings, right. no priesthood, nothing until they were 18 and denounced their parents' relationship or the same-sex couple relationship, their parents, and joined the church on their own. Right. I think if the New York Times article sounded like how you just explained it, Mm -hmm. there would be less outrage. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't say, you know, Monson stood fast against these, you know, uh, outside attackers, you know, the the ordained women. He stayed strong with traditional marriage. The article was much more, he didn't allow the gays to get married still. Mm -hmm. He's not allowing women to have their priesthood still. So I'll just read a couple of, of lines because I, I kind of feel like like I used a lot more words when I described, you know, how he maintained his values while president. Mm-hmm. But but let me kind of read what he what they said. So it says Thomas S. Monson, who was a president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints since 2008, enlarged the ranks of female missionaries. So that's a plus. But rebuffed demands to ordain women as priests and refused to alter church opposition to same-sex marriage, died on Tuesday at his home in Salt Lake City. He was 90. Pretty simple. They said something good, that he increased the ranks of female missionaries. They said something that the world may consider negative, which is he rebuffed demands to ordain women, and also that he was opposed to same-sex marriage. Now, I understand that the New York Times writing this piece it may sound like they're attacking the church from um, a true believing Mormon's perspective because a lot of Mormons recognize that these are things that the world thinks are not something to be proud of. Um, But as a Mormon, if these are your values, I don't understand like what, why are you getting upset about this? Yeah. Like, do you, do do you, did you think that he should have caved to the pressures of ordained women? Do you think that he should, back down from how he feels about same-sex marriage. Right. Because if you do, then you have a lot of other things that you should probably be addressing as a Mormon. Like ordain women. <laughs> if, if, if these are right. really things that you feel like are embarrassing and don't make you proud to be a Mormon, then, then I think that that's something that you should consi- consider. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I get that Mormons are going to feel like this is inflammatory, but at the same time, these are the things that he did during his presidency that made headlines. And so that's the things that a a media source is going to focus on is the things that he made headlines for. Yeah. Um, And then they go on to say, facing vociferous demands to recognize same-sex marriage and weathering demonstrations at church headquarters by Mormon women pleading for the right to be ordained as priest, Mr. Monson did not bend. Teachings hold teachings holding homosexuality to be immoral, bans on sexual intercourse outside male-female marriages, and an all-male priesthood would remain unaltered. Again, to reinforce that he that and the words that I, I wanted to point out, vociferous demands is the wording they used. And then they also said that he weathered demonstrations. And then they they ended the sentence by saying he did not bend. And so to me, I understand that these are not things that the world thinks are great things, but to a, but to a, a person who believes in these things, I don't think it's written to be right. demonstrable. I think it's written to- I don't know. I think there is like there's a an impl- an underlying implication here that is saying 
it's still, he still hasn't let them do this. He still mm-hmm. isn't allowing this. And mm-hmm. he's still, you know what I mean? I think there's yeah. this underlying implication here. And and that's what they're picking up on. But the only reason that that's framed in a negative light is because members of the church recognize that that's not something that the world thinks that they should be proud of. Yeah. Which I feel like if you flip the, if you flip the coin, they should be proud of it. Because they are. Yeah. Because that's what they believe. Yeah. So I... That's where I kind of get in a little, like, well, it feels a little hypocritical and disingenuous for me. Why are you being offended that, that, that. If something that you're supposed to be proud of, something that you're supposed to be supporting, Mm -hmm. why are you so offended? Why are you so defensive? Yeah. So he also talked, they also focused that on the fact that he displayed a new openness to scholars of Mormonism, um, allowing them remarkable access to church records. That's a positive. There, there already have been several positives that everyone can recognize are positive things. As rising numbers of church members and critics joined the internet, internet's free-for-all culture of debate and expose, his church was confronted with troubling inconsistencies in Mormon history and scripture. The church even found itself at odds with an old ally, the Boy Scouts of America, which admitted gay members and gay adults as scout leaders. President Monson was probably the the last loudest proponent of the Boy Scouts of America. Um, that was another one of his things, along with widows, Boy Scouts, was was something that he definitely talked about a lot. And so the, the fact that this happened kind of within his tenure is a big deal because it's, um, I mean, you can view it in a lot of different ways. He wasn't very, um, at the time that the Boy Scouts of America and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints broke up, if you will, or were kind of separating, uh, President Monson wasn't really, he didn't have his faculties at that point. So he's not yeah. really engaged anymore in that process. So it's not something that we can really contribute to him personally, but it happened during his time. And I think it's significant that it was something that he was passionate about and that it ended while he was still president, which it's kind of sad. Well, I mean, are they, they haven't completely severed though, have they? They have plans to completely sever. Because, I mean, mean, Boy Scouts of America is not only with the church. They're, I'm... Right. This this is something I didn't actually know growing up because Mm -hmm. I was in the church. Because you were a Mormon. (laughs) Right. But um, there are troops and, um, you know, whatever, the groups, Mm -hmm. that are completely separate from the church. Mm -hmm. None of them are Mormon. None of, you know, I think, I'm assuming a few... There might be other religions or atheists or whatever. Yeah. But there are many other religions and many other things, you know, participants in the Boy Scouts of America. So I think (laughs) being all offended and severing their relationship, you know, the relationship, it's not their organization. They, I feel like they, especially to the Mormons, they come across as this is my organization, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, you know, these are these are our boys. This is what we're gonna do, mm-hmm. you know. But it's it's really not. Um, I, I assume I'm assuming I guess that's why they want to sever that relationship because now this organization is moving in a progressive direction, mm-hmm. and the church is trying to hold back. You know, I'm just waiting yeah. when you know when are they gonna finally jump and change. Uh, revelation because <laughs> times are moving forth like they've done with women voting mm-hmm. you know like they've done with blacks in the priesthood mm-hmm. you know they were forced to do those things to keep afloat polygamy right polygamy mm-hmm. you know so i'm waiting when are they gonna do it with the lgbtq group 
So, and the next paragraph again is positive. On Mr. Monson's watch, the church enlarged its global missionary force to from, um, oh, to 69,000 from 52,000. And in what students of church affairs called a major achievement, doubled the number of young women in its missionary ranks to 18,000 by lowering the minimum age for service starting in 2012 to 18 from 19 for men and to 19 from 21 for women. That sent shockwaves through the church, Richard Lyman Bushman, a Mormon scholar and Columbia University historian, told the New York Times for this obituary. At 21, he said many Mormon women were married and not free from missionary work. While lowering the age to 19, let them become missionaries soon after high school. It changed the whole view of what women would do and that they would go just like the men, Professor Bushman said. There was a great surge of readiness. It changed their mentality. Two years of missionary work abroad or in the United States are a rite of passage and a duty for able Mormon men and women, a preparation for service in a church operated by its male laity. Women's missionary service is 18 months and optional. The surge of female volunteers after the age limits were lowered suggested that many had long been eager to go. Sisters always had that little thought of serving a missionary mission, but by the time 21 comes, you're married and, or onto something else. The, that was a Southern University private Mormon college. Southern Virginia Southern University. Virginia. So it's a private Mormon college, um, just for clarification. I almost it's... went to that school, actually. Really? Yeah, I toured it. It's not a church school, but it is owned by Mormons. Just wanted to make that distinction. Um, so and then it goes into... So again, all of these things that I've just been reading, this is like three paragraphs of totally positive things about lowering the missionary age, which I think is great. He, um, This is something that I think is a good step forward. Again, I don't know if we can credit it to actually Monson because it was so recent and his faculties were not there at the time. But the New York Times is crediting it to something that happened during his tenure. Right. And I think it's a very positive thing. Um, and then they lead into the, um, the ordained women. Persistent demands for church on another feminist issue. Mr. Monson, who as president was considered by adherents to be God's prophet, seer, and revelator, did not open the door to women in the priesthood, which, like the Mormon hierarchy, has been male since the church was founded in the early 19th century. Critics say the ban on female priests has, has no explicit basis in church scripture, but efforts to overturn it were sometimes dealt with harshly. Some Mormons face sanctions for questions for questioning church positions on women's roles. Kate Kelly, a feminist Mormon lawyer, was excommunicated on a charge of apostasy in 2014 after founding the organization Ordained Women. So then they go into, um, cause they kind of did a, a synopsis at the beginning. Then they kind of expounded on all the things they talked yeah, about. Yeah, I agree. It's bringing up so much controversy, but he's mm -hmm. not saying, how dare they? He's no. not criticizing the church at all. He's just bringing it up because it's a publication about the church, basically. Mm -hmm. I Well, I, you know, I wonder if that's, that's part of why they're angry. It's yeah. not about Monson and his life. He's the one who died. So I don't want to read too much of that article just because it it, it goes yeah, on for quite yeah, a ways and and you can you can definitely he, they talk about the Boy Scouts they expound on all of the points they talk about in the summary they expound in great detail later in the article which I think it's a great way to write an article in response to the New York Times obituary members of the church have begun a petition online asking the New York Times to instead of highlighting the negatives to stop attacking the church and highlight some of the positive characteristics of 
uh, President Monson. They basically said instead of highlighting the positive aspects of his life or a neutral statement about facts of his life, they decided to attack and disparage his character and use his obituary as a political statement against him and the church as a whole and tweeted a clickbait headline to attack even further. So I disagree with pretty much everything, everything in, that, said, yeah. <laughs> in that paragraph. <laughs> right. Um, because they didn't attack or disparage, they told facts. And if those facts happen to be not something that you're proud of as a Mormon, then that's something right. that you and need to re- reconcile. <laughs> exactly. Which we discussed is, like, the facts are, you know, these certain things, and some of those weren't even, like, negative. Like, no. more missionaries. Yeah. You know? Like, he lowered the age for girls. He doubled the amount of women missionaries. So he did a lot of good things, which the article talks about. You know, and good for them. Yeah. Not, not good for everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. Good good for, I mean, women's rights or something. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that that's, a, that's a hat tip to women's rights or sure. something. Equality. Women equality. Um, so then they, they compared the obituary of Fidel Castro and would they write similar scathing remarks about the Pope? They actually did. You had to go farther down in the article to find it, but they did say some pretty negative things about the Pope. Negative to all of us outsiders who aren't Catholics, that they seem negative to us because we are not, we don't worship the Pope. Right. So that's the, the problem that I have with a lot of this is that they're they're telling facts and some of these facts are not going to feel good to the rest of the, the world and Mormons are very sensitive to those things that the, that the world attacks them for and so I feel like by presenting them as fact they're like oh offense we're being attacked when right they're not being attacked it's right. just fact which I think it's inappropriate for them to expect uh, a newspaper article to identify the reasons why they as a believer and a follower, loved their leader which they did they asked Richard right. Bushman and another student two people were quoted in the article who were very favorable about President Monson so obviously the New York Times themselves isn't going to have devoted feelings about a, this you know church leader but they right. asked people who did and they quoted them in the article so I feel like they did their part and um, so the petition is asking for the New York Times to formally apologize for this bias in reporting and present an honest neutral and balanced obituary which wow wow you already got that and i'm sorry that it wasn't you know exactly how you wanted it i feel like this is wrong in my opinion that for them to be wanting to control the media absolutely that's exactly what they're looking to do is control the media Mm -hmm. that's wrong they shouldn't be doing that Mm -hmm. and and they're they're saying that 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 it's false. And there's nothing in that article that's false. And they will be sure that's false. So my, I'm married to a never Mormon and I talked all about this article or the obituary with him. And so his feedback to me is that I'm being an asshole and that I need to, yeah, because he says that I need to recognize that the New York times meant to be offensive. Hmm. And, and, and so, and I'm like, but, but, you know, believers believe and why aren't they proud of it? And he's like, no, you know, you know that they knew that these were things that were going to inflame the members. Uh-huh. And he's like, and I don't blame the New York Times. It, it is, sure. it's an appropriate time to bring up things about the church while everyone's looking mm-hmm. and point out things that are not okay. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, granted, I can see, I can see how members of the church feel that that's inappropriate. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's like, you need to give them that. And I'm like, okay. Okay. You know, I, I can agree with that, too. <laughs> I can I definitely see that point. When I first read the article, I my first thought was, an ex-Mormon must, must have written right. this. Right, yes. <laughs> but 
Because you're right. Our very first reaction was, wow, this they burns. They went there. They <laughs> went there. Yeah, but, absolutely. And so, yeah, you're right. For us to flip and say, oh, well, they're being hypocrites. Maybe we're kind of, They're being too sensitive. You know, we're being that's, maybe we're being too harsh. But whatever. You know, this is our experience. This is our thoughts. Whatever. <laughs> So, uh, the response to the petition, to me, is extremely disappointing. So, this this petition has been on the market, if you will. It's been live and active for approximately three-plus days. Mm -hmm. Three-plus days. Do you want to give me a ballpark guess of how many signatures it has? Um... I kind of knew a little bit, but I I don't remember. I want to say 25,000. Are you ready? I'm ready. 187,000 signatures in three fucking days. Yes. How is that even possible? (sighs) Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe there's armies of people multiple signing the petition. Who knows? That's like computer, you know, like those YouTube, like, channels where they have, like, a... People, like computers just <laughs> running their video the and it's like, oh yeah, that's totally how, you know, how can they get that many? Maybe. Um, or the church just has 5 million members. Is it million? Sheep. 5 million members? Who? Oh, I don't know. You who, can never trust what they say. Who are so blindly are devoted so. to their church that they're just going to. Oh, someone's of. saying mean things about us in the news. Right. That's, well, and honestly, it's sign this petition. Okay. Yeah. How you hard know? is it? They'll they'll say the leaders are gonna say, sign this petition, send out an email to everybody. Uh, you think the leaders? Of the oh church? yeah, I think bishops oh. sign this sign this petition and email the whole pe- oh, the whole ward. Then the whole ward follows signs the link it. and signs it. Ugh. You know, besides you bots or that happening, I can't understand how they get over a hundred thousand, a uh-huh. hundred thousand signatures in, in three, three days. days. Yep, a week. I I would say a week. Sure, I would be more believable. But three days? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, it was it was fast. Now, this, the the largest thing that is just driving me crazy through this, watching this whole petition, is that let's contrast for a minute the other petition that we've talked a lot about over the past couple of episodes. The Sam Young episode, or the Sam Young, <clears throat> the Sam Young petition to stop worthiness interviews stop right. the the mormon masturbation interviews and stop putting our children at risk um in in risky situations and asking them you know sexually explicit questions right a strange man in a closed room that in have private. been proven to be damaging to somebody absolutely he uh, sam young alone has collected o- over a thousand stories firsthand accounts of people who have had negative experiences within these these interviews and um, do you want to take a guess at how many in two and a half months of his petition being live, how many signatures does he have? I'm going to guess 10,000. He has 10,800 right. signatures. Wow. For two months of wow. campaigning, standing out on the corner in Temple Square with his mother of, you know, all kinds of internet campaigning, lots of, of you know, loud Right. Proponents of his petition, like ourselves and yeah. many, many other people who are championing him him on. He has a large army of people, of, of supporters. Yeah. And this petition blew it out of the fucking water in three days. And it just like smacks of... The, it, it reinforces to me in my own personal experience that the church doesn't give a shit about children, about safety, about... Families. 
about it doesn't families. care about families. It doesn't no. care about the only thing it cares about is image. And to me, yes. like this to me this goes back to when I was at BYU and I found myself in a situation where I had to go to the bishop because I felt I felt it terrible because I had just been basically date raped. And I, there was a possibility that I was pregnant and my bishop told me, like he, we went through the whole interview and he talked about the repentance process and read the miracle forgiveness and don't take the sacrament. And then like, I was getting up to leave and he said, and if you, if you become pregnant as a result of this experience, you will be asked to leave BYU. And that was so devastating to me. And I think, I think that's officially, if you, you know, since people like to talk about when their shelf cracked, I think that was the first, like, what moment. the fuck moment. Because I realized, I'm like, nothing will have changed between this moment right here and now and when I find out I'm pregnant. The only thing that will have changed is not my behavior and not another sin. What will, what will change is image. And you can't have a pregnant girl walking around BYU. Unmarried. Unmarried. BYU. Without, you know, without a wedding ring on her finger. And, and that was like, it just dawned on me that I'm like, this decision is not for my best interest. Because right. to me, my best interest at that time was I need to stay in school. I need to concentrate. I need to get my mind off of what has happened and just, just dive into education. Right. And if I had been sent home with a pregnancy, like my life would have been over. Yeah. And so. From a rape. From. You know, it wasn't a sin to begin no. with. It was. Someone else attacking you. Yeah, I would have been pregnant through no choice of my own. And, right. like, basically, it's just, ugh. And, and I'm not the only one to have this experience. Since right. I, I know, yeah. went public and talked about it, there are other people who got the same exact counsel from their bishops. And I've heard of it girls. It wasn't a rogue bishop. This no. is, like, counsel. Yes. And uh, there, I did hear a story of a girl who actually left BYU, had her, her rape baby, kept it, and I think, like, her mother raised it or something like that. And then she came back to school after, like, over a year's repentance process. Wow. That's in air quotes. And she came back to school. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I can't Why even imagine. I can't imagine there? subjecting yourself, yeah. like, believe going along with that. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just devastating to me. I find the church says one thing and does another constantly. Mm-hmm. Since I've left the church... In everything that I've found and read, the church says that they love families, that they love children, that they love their women, that they love black people, that they love, <laughs> you know, they love everybody. Love love the person, hate the sin, mm-hmm. all these things. But their actions are 100% different. Yes. And this is another uh, thing with the newspaper, comparing it to Sam Young's petition, they don't care about pa- the families who have been hurt. Mm-hmm. They care about the children and the people who have been damaged by these interviews. Mm-hmm. But they do care about how they're being perceived and portrayed in a New York Times article. Absolutely. Like, really? Come on. Mm-hmm. It, it's all about image to the church. And this whole situation to me just harkens back to not only on a church level, on a, a hierarchical level, but down to the members. The members themselves, almost 200,000 members, if we're going to assume that they're all real, 200,000 members care more about what the church looks like in the public eye than protecting children. Yeah. And that, just to me, is outrageous. Another topic I wanted to bring up, slash have Colleen bring up, <laughs> is... Um, she found some New York Times articles from each prophet dying. Oh, yes. And I find it fascinating. 
So I can, let me pull up the headlines of, and I found this on Twitter. I can pull up the headlines of um, the New York Times obits for every Mormon church president. And so I'll read through a couple of them that I thought were um, noteworthy. Um, so the first one we have is Brigham Young, the Mormon prophet's history, birth and early life of the chief, the Latter-day Saints, Mormonism from 1832 down to the present, the settlement in Utah, the Mormon secession. So that's pretty much just a like mm-hmm. bullets of what's going to be in the article. Nothing, you know, negative or anything like that. Wilford Woodruff, aged president of the Mormon church succumbs to kidney complaint in San Francisco. Short, sweet, simple. Then we get to President Taylor. The Mormon church left without a head. Its chief, a fugitive from justice, breathes his last hidden away from prying eyes. Wow. That what sounds is so like, that about? That sounds like Jeff Warren's-esque, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. So I'm like, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that President Monson's obit was way, way yeah. kinder than whatever's Whatever going on. Yeah. And I, I can only assume, since we haven't done any research, since we just found this, like, minutes ago, we can only assume that that's from polygamy. I would assume that that's polygamy. Yeah. I think he was the he last. He was a polygamy. I think, yeah. I think he was one of the last polygamous, polygamous prophets. Mm-hmm. So I did find another one that harkened back to polygamy that I thought was interesting. Joseph F. Smith, Mormon head, dies. Prophet of Latter-day Saints in Salt Lake City left five wives, 43 children. Wow. Missionary at 15 years. President of Brigham Young University had recently denounced polygamous marriages. I'd say that's also a very disparaging headline. Yeah. But also very truthful. Yeah, truthful. It's the news mm-hmm. at the time, you know, the news from when while he was the prophet. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the other thing that I think that we need to address is that um, after this, this petition was created and the New York Times, um, I'm sure, was aware of the petition and all of the signatures that it was quickly garnering they issued a response it says our obituaries editor on coverage of former mormon leader thomas monson it's a great article i think i encourage you all if if this is a topic that interests you read the response because i agree with pretty much everything that they they said they basically outlined a lot of the concerns that the Mormons had or the people that were writing into the New York Times had. They had hundreds of messages and dozens of comments on the obituary readers, including many Mormons, wrote that the obituary focused too narrowly on politics and controversies of the Mormon church and overlooked Mr. Monson's contributions to the community. And so then it, it highlighted a, a few of the, the responses. Um, some people pointed out the differences between the Hugo Chavez and Hugh Hefner obits and how they are written very dry and factual. Uh-huh. And they leave out a lot of the more negative things that could be said about both of these individuals. And so it's a very, it's a, it's a, uh, a question answer type of, situation the article's written in and so it it basically makes the point in general when publishing an obituary how do you decide which points from a person's life to highlight the answer is the general rule of thumb is that if someone made news of some sort during his or her lifetime then his or her death is probably newsworthy too so we have to look at the points that defined an individual in the public mind whatever made that person known in the wider public achieving a scientific breakthrough attaining political power winning an oscar hitting a home run to win a world series i would also add that when dealing with people in positions of power whether as the head of country a corporation or a church controversy comes with the territory and to a large extent controversy controversy points of friction of some sort is what makes news a quiet day in the west wing is not news 
All right. So then another question it asks, many Mormon readers did not think the obituary for Mr. Monson reflected the positive feelings that much of the Mormon community had for him. When writing an obit for a religious leader, is there any obligation to pay tribute in any way? The answer, we're not in the business of paying tribute. We're journalists first and foremost. I think in tracing the life of a religious leader, it would almost go without saying that he or she had won the respect and admiration of those who put them in the position to lead. But we may well quote someone explaining that respect or admiration if it would offer something substantial to the reader's understanding of the individual. In other words, we're not going to quote someone saying simply, Mr. Smith was a wonderful person, but we will quote someone saying why he was. And so then they talked about how they quoted Richard Lyman Bushman and the the positive things that, that Richard Bushman had to say about Monson. And so overall, this was a, a wonderful crafted response back to all of the, the 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 outcry over the obit right one of the things that i thought was really great about that response was how they worded the way the mormons felt they said many mormon readers did not think the obituary for mr monson reflected the positive feelings that much of the mormon community had for him the mormons are saying you wrote a bad obituary you're not writing about his real life and the editor's response is these are your opinions and I don't have to represent your opinions that's because not that's job. not their job. And no. it's obvious when you word it this way is that it isn't their job to represent the Mormons' opinions mm -hmm. at all. Um, another conversation that I was able to listen in on, uh, Radio West, which is a radio station in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, did uh, a panel discussion of faithful LDS scholars and, and experts in the field. I'll reference all this in the in the show notes since I don't have the names right off the bat. But in the discussion, they talked about how Monson was a very passive leader. When you compare him to all of the prophets yeah. and presidents of the church, Monson took a very passive role. He took a pastoral, not even a pastoral, he took a, a warm, caring, serving kind grandfatherly role that yeah. was his role he served widows he was you know kind to the children that he met and if you look at the decline of his health it really kind of it paints the, the picture for his presidency he was um he was put in in 2008 by 2009 um 2009 was the last time that he ever conducted conference and that's kind yeah. of a benchmark for how well the presidents of the church how well their health is doing is how often they're conducting a session of conference but he didn't conduct a session of conference since 2009 that was the last time and his uh his addresses in conference greatly diminished in length ever since 2009 so that's kind of when he began to go downhill and so his uh his presidency he wasn't able or it wasn't his personality to be a gordon b hinckley which was the president that he followed who was going out on larry king going on on 60 minutes like he was doing right. the, the and the proclamation to the world right her family so he led a very a very different role than gordon b hinckley did he was a much more passive prophet and so what this to me has to do with this um obit and the complaints that a lot of people have is that he didn't have a lot of things that the that the new york times could talk about because yeah. he wasn't appearing on larry king he wasn't out there in the public eye uh, whether he couldn't or it wasn't his personality who knows but that wasn't him he wasn't even pastoral he wasn't even a theological 
a powerhouse to the church. He wasn't coming out with prophecies and revelations and, and things like that. Basically, the only thing that he can own is the reduction in age of missionaries because he himself announced that from the pulpit. And this uh, segment on Radio West talks about how that's what Mormons, members of the church, react to is things that come across the pulpit. Right. And he only basically said one thing, which was lowering the missionary age. All right, that's all for our discussion on Monson. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to the Mormon Happy Hour. Cheers! Cheers.